Welcome to another discussion on Who Gets Love. Hello everyone. Welcome back to Who Gets Love. You know it's me, Crystal, and we have BJ. And today we're going to do a first of By the Book, where we cover a book. We are kind of not relying on our personal opinions this round. You know, we're we're trying to, I guess, discuss the ideas of someone else, the professional uh, who wrote this book. So that's going to be fun. What do you think, BJ? Are you excited? Yeah, it's excited. Um, it's exciting, but it's also uh, making me very anxious, too. <laughs> Just in the process of reading the book, I realized that you and I even read differently. So <laughs> it it always <laughs> seems like I want to make sure that I'm not as emotional or I'm not as analytical about the things that I'm reading with. Sometimes I can't help but to be that in those mm-hmm. spaces, but like sticking to an actual format and how to discuss this book because a lot of what I read in this all it did was kind of like highlight a lot of things that I typically stand on really can't go into like a full description of what that means but I'm sure from listening to the conversation you will be able to kind of gauge what I mean when I say that because I'll probably get to a point where it's just like I really have an intentional point to make or prove behind some of the chapters I have a question just for clarity on my part for what you stand on already so is it like stuff that you believe you already know and you already have put in practice that is probably 45% of that position that I'm in the other portion which probably needs to be um divided in a fraction when she would make um speaking directly to the author um, Mira Kirschenbaum she wrote this book I love you I love you but I don't trust you and I started the book understanding how society communicates this position and stance Mm-hmm. Because we see every every day for the duration of the last possibly five or so years that it's always one or the other in relationships. Either it's no love or it's no trust. And then by the end of the book, I realized that love is not the most important thing to go for or to search for in the process of finding a partner. Trust is probably paramount to that entire process and by the time Mm -hmm. I got to the end of the book I was able to see why I'm not so sympathetic or empathetic in a lot of areas of love when it comes to trust and communication being challenged or I'm able to understand why I'm not as much of an emotive person when it seems like there is a emotional disconnection or something to that effect because I have to make sure that I can trust that what this is is actually what it is and not something else so it just made me kind of affirm 
some of my positions, which still may be wrong. <laughs> Not to say that it's like, oh, I've I've become a complete human being and this is just me and wholeness and righteousness. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that a lot of my thoughts were like amplified or my feelings were amplified once I was completely done with the book. Well, what I can tell you, BJ, is while I was reviewing some of the uh, chapters yesterday, my husband walked in and he heard like a portion and immediately was like offensive like he was just like oh how can she just think that based on that and i'm just like well hold on wait (laughs) she's telling a story (laughs) like she tells so many stories to create examples in his book and the author the narrator doesn't necessarily have any stance on either side she's just painting pictures on how these things play out and look and why they happen and what's the fix of it. And mm-hmm. like he was just totally on the man's side. Felt like the woman in the scenario was so awful and wrong. And it was just hilarious. And I'm like, is that what men hear when listening to things like this? And is the major problem of it is because a woman is narrating and it's a woman author that they automatically assume that their side of the story isn't taken into consideration. Right? Mm-hmm. So. Right. Immediately, I was just like, okay, maybe a part of BJ, when he initially started listening to this book, felt like rod at this, in this 10 seconds of listening. You know what I'm saying? So we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Right. But I, I, right. I, it it kind of gave me some clarity, like how men are listening and hearing this book. Mm-hmm. So there is that. Now, go ahead. It's definitely parts of a lot of the book, at least the parts that I can actually retain, because there were some things I really didn't get from some of the chapters. But for the most part, I will say Mm -hmm. that in a lot of uh, male experience, we tend to see women's feelings with a highlighter a lot of times. Like when, and what I mean by a highlighter is that like they kind of draw across the examples and amplify it so that you can see it in a lot more brightness and detail. And a lot of times when we see those things being highlighted, we try to see if anything relative to how we feel is even associated with, or even being communicated in the same space, because again, you put so much emphasis on the feminine expression that sometimes it's like, where do we even fit in this? And there were a lot of moments where the examples just kind of left the man immediately looking guilty without even a crime being communicated. And I think she did that intentionally. Mm. So it was a lot of examples that I did take that kind of just made me question a lot more. So we'll get into it. That's good. So I want to get started so we can get into the meat and potatoes of exactly what she's doing in this book to get our attention, to highlight certain things. Because I agree with you. She definitely did a lot of intentional things. And I appreciate her for it. Because when you do things a certain way, and this probably has something to do with her psychology (laughs) and understanding Mm -hmm. it and how people work. And she, you know, infused that in this book. And it just really makes you understand and see things differently than you than you did initially before reading a book like this so 
For me, right, before right. even getting into it, I would just like to tell everyone I highly recommend it as a read, um, especially if you can relate to the title alone. I love you, but I don't trust you. And I know that has to be tons of people because we do have issues with trust. Trust is so fragile. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to put that out there right now. So let's get started. Let's All get started. Right. All right. Whew. Let's get to it. All right. She starts this book, and this is actually the same way Crystal and I started this process. What seems to be the end of the process is actually the beginning. Mm -hmm. The very first talk point or chapter in the book is finding your way back to each other. Mm Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, okay, finding your way back, there was a process that had to take place before we got here, but somehow this is where we Mm -hmm. start. So Mm -hmm. that was, of course, the point where I had to really learn an approach to the book because I'm, I'm approaching it pretty much grading the book and not trying to actually learn and educate Mm. myself. So um, what came to me was we always seem to see the end before we see the beginning. And that is usually at the point of us being hurt. So we call stepping out cheating. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the very end of a potential foundation or relationship being built. And cheating to me is not the the right word to use because in some instances, it's merely just a poor choice based on what we read throughout the book. It's not always the description of how a person feels about you. It's just actually needing another opinion and not knowing how to go about getting that opinion. So finding your way back to each other is confrontational and controversial in my opinion Mm -hmm. because a lot of us really don't know what it takes to get back to who we once loved and trusted okay so it's hard to get to that point but it's great that it starts at the very beginning because if you have that understanding by the time you actually get to the issue you're well prepared for which was the previous conversation that we just had so so what this book taught me is that Cheating is just one of many forms of betrayal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, we lose trust because of betrayals and betrayals do not have, it's a definition. There's a definition for betrayals, but it's not going to necessarily look the same for everybody. And that's why Mm -hmm. a lot of these issues in this book that were brought up were so insignificant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and trivial for a lot of people who would read the book, but it, it, it mattered to the people who were experiencing it. And I also believe that's why she doesn't name the issue in the scenario with the first scenario she gives. And you can go into that when you start back talking so we can, you know, invite people into this conversation even more so. But I feel like just to understand betrayal in itself, cheating is a form of that. So, at the very first glance, finding your way back is finding your way back from feeling 
betrayed right Right, and she says finding your way back to each other but i highlight personally for myself is finding your way back is because once you have like an inkling or a belief that something is going wrong within your relationship and then you get the confirmation that your your belief is accurate even though you you knew it was a possibility you didn't want to believe and you you didn't want the confirmation and the evidence that it was actually real a part of you wanted to believe it wasn't so and then you get your confirmation that you were absolutely right and just think about like all the questions you may have asked all the things you tried to do to kind of counter this from being real and all the maybe pushback that you got from your mate when you were asking questions that you were trying to do to kind of get a better idea or feel for what you were experiencing and then to like get your confirmation and kind of go haywire in a sense like almost lose your mind so in a sense you're finding your way back to yourself like finding your way back to a normal state of mind finding your way back to some form of comfortability once you have confirmed a betrayal and then you can work on getting back to each other so that's Mm. what i'll say for the first part but i'm pretty sure you have more to add for that first part yeah it does give a more refined definition because when she's in my interpretation when she's saying finding your way back to each other it's a very layered statement what i believe it to be is finding your original state Mm -hmm. of being within the space you share with another person Mm -hmm. so in order for us to do that we have to identify first where the two of us went wrong and that's difficult because one stands in the position of the betrayed and then the other stands in the position of the betrayer Mm -hmm. so going back to an original position with knowing that you're the person that's wrong is very difficult. And it's even more difficult for the person who is the betrayed, who has to forgive you for the wrong. Mm -hmm. So we, we find ourselves in a position of looking at betrayal from two different perspectives. A lot of times when we deal with, being wrong and knowing what our intentions were we assume that it shouldn't be as bad as how they respond to what we've done Mm -hmm. um it's always communicated in such a way where we say hey i just meant this one particular thing i didn't intend for it to go here and sometimes you can't even control where that is being taken to. So you find yourself trying to minimize the betrayed feelings of a betrayed person and treat them as if they're being irrational, which just amplifies a lot of what they're already feeling and being hurt. And then you think as the person who's addressing your assailant, in a sense, the person that betrayed you, you're saying, well, why is it that you don't see that this is hurting me? Mm-hmm. Because you don't understand the intentions behind what this person is actually doing, being the person that feels persecuted. So mm-hmm. it's a position 
of challenge that we all at some point have faced. But this makes you step in the shoes of the person that is actually hurt and the person that actually does the wrong and try to navigate your way into the safest and most healthiest set of communication skills and boundaries so that these issues don't happen throughout time or re I guess reoccur throughout time in a relationship that you're trying to build. So I have some questions about okay. Okay. betrayal that I want to get into so that we can kind of open up the mm-hmm. conversation of how trust and love can be affected in this space, right? Mm-hmm. So naturally, when we say betrayals, we assume that betrayals are damaging, mm-hmm. right? We don't look at it as just merely being poor choices. Mm-hmm. It's always something that gets us closer and closer to a point of no no return. Mm-hmm. For the example of, let's just say, cheating. Is cheating ultimately based on the fact that you feel less than adequate knowing that another person that you love has other options? Or do you feel as though it worsens because of the fact that you didn't exercise the ability to understand fully what your options were in this space and somebody beat you to the punch? Now, I know that that's a little offensive in a way because we're still addressing cheating, but we have to also understand where we are in a relationship as two people trying to get to know each other. A lot of times when we feel like we're being cheated on, we don't understand a person is just making a poor choice in their humanity. It's not necessarily to make you feel less of a person. So how do we how do we kind of refine the definitions so that we don't take these things so personal going forward. Okay, so I want to start off by giving the definition to betrayal. Okay. The act of betraying someone or something or the fact of being betrayed is a violation of a person's trust or confidence of a moral standard. Um, we can go deeper into it, mm-hmm. but I want to just leave that there for that right so Mm -hmm. you are specifying the betraying act of cheating and um how to refine or normalize it so it's we can't we can't we absolutely cannot because we don't know how every instance or individual is going to feel um when somebody is faced with this type of um action i mean you don't kind of get the background for it until you've experienced it right and and then okay. you have to play out the emotions of what it is and so you hear a lot you know if you've read books about cheating or if you just listen to someone who's been cheated on or someone who's cheated on someone you hear them say stuff like um I felt like I was doing something wrong. I felt like I could have prevented this. I felt like this was a personal attack on me. And you hear the other person that did the cheating, you hear them saying, well, it wasn't about you, but there was some things that were wrong. And, you know, instead of communicating or whatever, I made this choice or whatever. I've, I've long said um, that cheating is lack of discipline. And I feel like, you know, we want to make it something else when it comes to, you know, 
relationships with humans, but it's the very same thing as cheating on your diet. You ate that piece of cake, but did you not want to lose weight after the fact? You still want to lose weight. You just gave in to that temptation. It's the same thing with people, right? You, mm-hmm. it might not be the main issue or whatever in it, but it does not change the fact that you love someone. But a lot of people refuse to see cheating as a poor choice and we can't force them to right a lot of people refuse to humanize the cheaty um a lot of people refuse to they want to say they're selfish they want to say they're bad people they want to say they can't get right they want to say they're dogs and they'll forever be dogs like there is so much negativity we want to assign to people when they do something wrong and that is for each individual to learn as they experience you would hope that when they find themselves in love and when betrayal impacts them to this extent to where they're so hurt and all they want to do is assign negativity, they have enough sense not to let this one thing take over their brain and change everything else they know about this person. But that's a that's a tall order and it's probably not going to feel reasonable, but that is mm-hmm. why, you know, you allow yourself time to deal with these things and not try to act immediately because you're afraid or act immediately because you're in pain or act immediately because you're insane. Hell. So it's, it's like, I can't tell people how to refine it. All I know is you'll understand it deeper and better once you've experienced it. If you experience it, if you find out <laughs> you wow. experienced it so that's where i'll put it because i don't i don't think i can assign any definition to how people should look at it but the interesting thing about what you said in terms of the positions of the two people that's naturally how i started the approach when you were saying how the woman or man for that instance whoever the person is who was cheated on they'll say mm-hmm. like it's something that i could have done mm-hmm that's still true. Um, uh-huh. Even though you were the person that was wronged in the situation, a lot of times there is still truth to that position. And this is what I believe you're supposed to use to motivate yourself, even in being hurt, to mm-hmm. find or get to the root of where the things in your relationship with wrong, went wrong. So that you can kind of understand what, where the person intentions really were. And then mm-hmm. if in fact you were truly betrayed for a specific reason or for something that you've actually done to another person, because a lot of times I think, and it's so difficult to talk about this because I know I sound foolish in thinking mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to Tell people that even when you're cheated on, get to the the bottom of the issue or the situation. Mm-hmm. But it's very much true to where a lot of these problems go wrong. And we mm-hmm. just kind of recycle these issues every day because you really don't know who the person is behind the offense that they committed against you. Sometimes cheating simply means to me that certain people didn't spend enough time getting to know themselves completely flaws and weaknesses included. Well, I also feel like cheating doesn't define the person. So it, it outside it of them cheating, 
Yeah, yeah. Outside of them cheating, that them cheating has really nothing to do with who they are to the core of them. Mm -hmm. So I think I think it's awful that we use that thing to categorize and define the entire person, right? Right. And so and that's the problem. We do that. Um. So I mean, again, like you said, it's you. you, We we do feel foolish telling people that there is something that they could do. The the thing that I think I need to cement here is that. You know, there is other things to do before stepping out and betraying intentionally because cheating is an intentional betrayal because I know without a shadow of a doubt that people know once the partner finds out, no matter how upset they are with the partner, no matter how hopeless they feel in regards to the situation with the partner, they know once this is discovered that this is going to hurt something. They might not know to what extent, but they know this is going to be a problem. They mm-hmm. know that I, I refuse to accept that they don't, but there is something that can be done before those steps are taken. So the person can do something about it because, you know, there is this lack of communication thing that happens to where we assume the person that we're dealing with experiences what we experience and we can experience all this lack and they don't pay attention to me. They don't, they don't act like they love me. They're not treating me right. They're not talking to me right. They're doing everything wrong. This is a problem, right? And then you find out that you, you, you go out and cheat because you feel like you feel like you are communicating it and they feel like they are addressing it, but it's not resolved within you. And so you go do something that is problematic to what you've been fussing about and fighting about and you just basically give yourself a a weaker position in your stance that's how i Mm -hmm. see it so i see it the same way yeah so i think i think yes the person can do something but you have to make it as clear as you possibly can and stay with it until they understand you completely you know what i'm saying like don't just talk about it one time just to be able to say you told them you need to talk about it until they understand you in regards right, to where you're coming right. from with your unhappiness in your relationship. Because uh, if, you, if you've ever been to counseling or you've ever read any books about this in regarding in this situation, they will all, professionals will always tell you cheating happens when the environment is ripe for it. Mm. Mm. So, there all you right. go. So, let's get into the next chapter because i believe that that's going to kind of like steer all Mm -hmm. of what we just said into perspectives that people can actually digest for themselves now Mm -hmm. this is where i truly began judging the book Mm -hmm. because the example of the two characters heather and chris Mm -hmm. kind of kind of like infuriated me at the mm. very beginning of taking the story in because I never heard what Chris did. Mm-hmm. All I heard was suspicion and premonition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in today's world, and especially in black culture, we hear a lot of bold statements being made by assumption alone. It's mm-hmm. not... It's not proving the character and quality of men. It's just giving detail to the ones that a lot of us are experiencing in today's society. It's not speaking directly to the men, in my opinion. And this example was a perfect analogy for how we feel in these moments where 
she begins to suspect certain things are changing. And instead mm-hmm. of her addressing her suspicions directly in the conversation, she goes mm-hmm. snooping around. Mm-hmm. Now, they always say when you go looking for something, you're going to find what you're looking for. But the mm-hmm. caveat to that is you're going to find what confirms what you believe you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. Right? So. Okay. Again, her suspicions have nothing to do hypothetically with Chris's actions because you've created both narratives, the suspicion and the offense. You have not even spoken directly to the person that's making you feel some type of way. You never addressed him directly to find out if there was something that he's responding to within him that he could be rightfully feeling. So. I want to emphasize that a confirmation of suspicion does not mean you found the truth. Okay. This is a lot of times where trust seems to steer a lot of people in different directions because being betrayed in this instance to me was merely a response to a disappointment being revealed to you from your own premonitions and not him actually doing something wrong. You don't even know what he's doing yet. You're just assuming that whatever he's doing is something wrong to me. Okay. So what I'm going to say, the way she, the way she set up this scene was intentional. She did not want to give away. The author did not want to give away what happened in this instant because she, was just driving home her point very early in the book that it doesn't matter what the betrayal is. This is how mistrust creates or, you know, happens in a lot of relationships, right? Mm-hmm. There is something. So here's, here's something that you said. Like she, she, what she did was confirm what she believed, her suspicion, not necessarily the truth, right? Right. So right. what the truth of the matter is that there is something going on with him that she is not privy of. Not either whether she was made aware of it and she doesn't understand it to the extent in which she should, or he failed to communicate to her where he was mentally. However, that plays itself out. There's a truth behind his action. However, his action is still wrong. Now, she doesn't tell you what his action is in, in his chapter for a reason, because she just wants everybody to know whatever the betrayal is. No matter how small it is, no matter how big it is, betrayal feels the same way. Mm-hmm. It feels like this. Betrayal feels the same way for most. If this person considers it a betrayal, we don't know what they've been through. We don't know what they what they've experienced. We don't know those things. And we cannot determine as outsiders or even people in relationship with these people how certain things should make them feel. We cannot. And see, and that's where a lot of us mess mess up is because when we want to judge how people should feel about certain things, we're not we're not giving them opportunity to feel what they feel. We're not understanding mm-hmm. them as much as we possibly can and what they're experiencing. So we can't we cannot, I guess, take the 
the sting out of her pain because it's not large enough for us or we cannot say it's not what she's experiencing because we don't get the confirmation in this story. I, I just felt like whatever it was, was a huge deal to her. Now I can assume because what happens next in the book and readers, we don't want to give it all away, but there's a friend in the book that speaks to her own experience. I'm assuming because it relates to what's happening and it, it gives a different trajectory. So before I go too far, I just want to say, I think we both started reading the book at the same time and we both got to this point early on. And initially BJ was enraged. <laughs> he was enraged <laughs> in regards to how the scenario played out. And it is it was hilarious in the moment because he was not feeling it. And I wasn't certain he was going to finish the book, but he just did not like all of the things that happened in this scenario. And one of the things that stood out to BJ and what he brought to me is that when somebody has been wronged, they're not going to have this core of friends that's going to tell them things to consider like sound and logical things. They're not going to have friends that don't tell them negative things and stuff like that. And we kind of went back and forth on that. And can we speak to that really quick? Like, why did you initially feel like nobody was going to have these logical sound thoughts when they call their friends and tell their friends that my man did this, that, or the third? Because ultimately we know our support system and the quality of that space and most of the times the reason why you have the support systems that you have is because they typically think the way that you do so in saying what i was saying in the infuriated portion of you know self-awareness what i begin to realize in the first four chapters is that the person that you need to have the most trust with is yourself Mm -hmm. because heather in this position, to me, is still wrong. Even though she suspects that there is something going on, she's still wrong because here you can see that when you are in fear of potentially being hurt or betrayed or however you want to put those words in the, the places they need to be, you begin to step outside of yourself in order to create the strategy to not be the person hurt in the end, you still have a responsibility to even the person who is potentially prone or capable of hurting you. You still have a responsibility to that person as well. So in that instance of her feeling like something was potentially getting ready to happen, my initial thought was go directly to Chris and address what you're seeing directly. Do not go into the detective mode because that's just telling who you are underneath the person that you're portraying in front of Chris too. Why are you snooping through his things? And this idea that hotels are only for sex is something that really truly needs to be debunked. And manhood, because a lot of us don't have support systems as men. So nine times out of 10, your homeboy don't have room for you to come stay at his house because he don't have no guest room in his house. So sometimes we go to hotels just for an empty bed 
and a TV that we don't have to share with anybody. So if you just so happen to see a hotel expense in his checkbook, that could have been deliberately for him to get away from your ass. Okay. It's not saying, okay, he has a woman in there with him. So it's a lot of things that I personally know that are not experiences of other people. But to me, it's just two people in the wrong and not knowing how to communicate. And this is what causes the betrayal on both sides to amplify itself. It's not necessarily an intentional thing. So I do agree that she is exhibiting some form of bad behavior by Mm -hmm. snooping and, you know, looking through things. Right. But I'm going to say, but um, we don't we we, first of all, we don't we can't assume. Right. I'm going to assume we can't assume, but I'm going to assume that she has reason to have suspicion if women out there who know you have reason to be suspicious, it's never just, oh, I feel like being suspicious today. I mean, sometimes it is, but I think it's different when there's real true reason to be suspicious. Okay. And in those instances, a hotel, a hotel stay is not something that is a trigger just because it's a hotel stay. I mean, you can go stay at a hotel and come back home the next day and say, I stayed so-and-so last night because blah, blah, blah. And it's no big deal. See, the issue with a lot of these things that go on is because there is no discussion surrounding it, right? So then it's a secret. If there's discussion around it, it's not a secret. If you talk to me about it, if you tell me about it, it's not a secret. But if you don't discuss it, and and trust me, just because it can come up on the bill don't mean you're not hiding it. Because guess what? You're not assuming that this woman is going to go look up your your account and see what expenses were made. You know, everybody ain't sharing this type of thing. But some people do and can find access to this information. So it's not a safe assumption that, oh, I know you can check the record. So duh. No, that's not the case. There was clearly, there was clearly some sense of, you know, this, you know, not being completely truthful. Cause we know at the same time, honesty and truthfulness are different. And there is a way to be, mm-hmm. to tell the truth. And there's a way to be honest. And I forget the differentiation of it, but I believe honest is the complete truth. And truth is just truth, but not like the details and surrounding it. Like you're leaving things out, but you're still telling the truth. And honesty is like the complete thing. I could be wrong. I'll look it up later. But the point is like there is, she has reasons to believe it. And like, I don't, I don't think it's a safe assumption just to say she saw a few things and that's why she's, she's suspicious. I think she has reasons to be suspicious. There are reasons to be suspicious. There are reasons to be suspicious. Okay. Now, I would, I think it's a better practice. As soon as you find a reason to be suspicious, call it out, ask the question immediately. Don't let it build up. I agree with you there, BJ. Directly um, engage with the person that is being suspicious immediately at first sign. And I guess that's kind of hard to do. Because a lot of times when men want to hide things, they get very, 
you know, jumpy and irrational when you, when they feel like you calling them out and you're just asking questions. So again, Mm. there is that. I'm learning in this moment to allow things to be what they are and not try to tear it apart and get to the very bottom of things because immediately when you said that, I thought about you saying hiding in plain sight in terms of the unprepared, because again, there are so many moments that men would love to be honest and open. And I truly believe that that is the intention in a lot of cases. But even if we told you, you're still going to, create your own suspicion based on what we tell you because again you initially started believing that I was up to something when I was actually up to my escape plan from what I'm feeling in this space like up to something to you was completely negative and not assumed to be me just trying to escape the situation for my own personal and mental health it was assuming that it was something wrong in the relationship Now, Chris has the right, even with a partner, to assume responsibility for himself and remove himself from a space that is, at the time, tumultuous or Mm -hmm. stressful. Mm -hmm. And this this thing of communication always seems to get lost because we just feel the need to always be included in everything that involves our, our partners. And that is not true either. You know, sometimes for me as a man, I completely shut off because I don't have any energy for anything else outside of myself. And maybe I can tell you in those moments, but a lot of times when we say communication, it is for the sake of suspicion, not for the sake of knowing. Hey, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And and I and I can't argue too much with you because I've read this book and BJ, a lot of what you're saying is in some of the scenarios that this book provides. Right. Right. right so right. I can't say, uh uh-uh, uh, no, no, no. I can't do it. Right? Because it's a real thing. And I think it comes with the understanding that the two people in any relationship are not exactly the same. They exchange a lot of details. They exchange a lot of information and yet they still don't know each other. That's why you're unprepared. Right. We talked about this, you know? And so it is like your world and everything that made you who you are and their world and everything that made them who they are. And it's just a daily choosing these people and choosing to understand how they work and choosing to understand their quirks and why they do things the way they do things and why they respond the way they, it's a choice to not make them bad people because they handle things a certain way, but to understand them better. So you can mm-hmm. have a greater understanding if, if this fits with you. Cause sometimes we don't, we can't really figure out a lot of stuff in the, you know, a lot of the amount of time to figure out if this truly works for us. Because on a surface level, it all seems to make sense at some point. Right. And then right, as you right, get deeper, right. you're realizing, Oh, we are in direct conflict here and I don't feel like I can budge, <laughs> you know? And right, then you can right. get to asking them, like, do you feel like you can budge? Cause I think we're at an impasse here. You know, like, I don't think we're going to make it beyond this because I ain't budging and I don't think you budging. And we're just too different. 
You know, we're too different. And instead of being mad about it, instead of calling them out because they won't bend to your will, it's kind of like an accepting of this is who they are and this is who I am. And it's okay that we don't see eye to eye and we get to move on, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's that, right? And so like, I couldn't argue with you because what you're saying is very real and it is just not present in the mind of the person who feels... betrayed right betrayed right Right. and so again she didn't tell us what she did what he did but i'm certain he did something and she is within reason (laughs) to feel the way she feels okay Mm -hmm. and um there's a part in the book that we might not get to but there's a part in the book where the author tells women when they're in this part this portion of initially confirming the betrayal to call their soundest, most logical friend, right? Because this is the person who should be able to give you the best advice and be a decent sounding board regarding how you want to do things and take action. They can tell you, hey, slow down. You're moving in this fear. You're moving in this rage. And this is not called for calm down. So I understand, BJ, because... I, yeah. I got a similar reaction. I said from my husband regarding another portion of this book, but it's just like, we cannot take the experience of what they're feeling away because this is very real for them. Even right. if it's illogical. So, so, so if any of you guys listening ever get to an opportunity to read this book, by the time you're done, I want you to look at your partner and find Nicole and the friend group (laughs) that that is your assignment find who nicole is and your friend group because um oh you bring something else out you bring something else out (laughs) to me right nicole is probably a friend you refuse to befriend huh okay maybe all right i'm not gonna invalidate that Maybe, perhaps. Nicole is probably a person that you refuse to get close to because of the sound voices in your immediate circle, which could be completely negative. Mm. Right? Right. Can I say something real quick? Go ahead. Go ahead. So the author of this book was speaking to, what was her name? Chris and, what's the other person's name? Chris and Heather were the initial couple. Mm. Yeah. Myra Kishenbaum is speaking to Heather's thought process and Heather was able to identify that her two of her friends wanted her to be like the savior of bad doing. They wanted her to exemplify the woman that divorces her husband for for his betrayal so that her husband their husbands would know what happens in the event that they don't do right right because she speaks Mm -hmm. to that. She's like, she's like, these friends, two of these friends wanted me to be this superhero woman that took the trash out and said, mm-hmm, this is what you get for your bad actions. So that their husband was like, oh, I ain't going to do that. <laughs> you know? So that's how I'm mm-hmm. confirming that he did something bad because this is what 
this the thought process of heather but then a friend who has experienced something similar who really sat there and listened to heather right and i, I feel like we're getting a lot of messaging today to where you don't insert your experience when a friend is telling you their experience but i'm telling you you got to use wisdom because sometimes it's necessary and in this case nicole spoke wisdom from her own experience that gave heather the insight that her relationship doesn't doesn't have to be over right right, right. so i think it's very important and i i, I could tell that nicole didn't necessarily want to out herself because she's telling this friend circle something that they didn't know before but for her friend's sake in making a rash decision because she's in pain and she's angry she exposed this part of her life and her relationship just so she could see there is a way back Mm-hmm. referring back to the previous chapter the way back to each other so that's all i have to say i think for this to only be the second chapter is uh <laughs> it's a really it's a really like emotional roller coaster uh-huh because this again is like within the first 40 minutes of a potentially eight hour book uh-huh. You'll say, yeah. This is the first two chapters, and what you begin to realize is that all of your beginnings with another person are potentially built on shaky grounds from the very beginning of starting a relationship. And the reason why those things happen on shaky grounds is because you two are supposed to ground each other from the things that are happening around you right and a lot of times for us we we cling to what makes sense but not always what's sensible Mm. and we're naturally drawn to other people in these ways to make us feel or confirm the suspicions on love and trust to keep us in hiding from what we truly want and i really experienced a lot from um, Nicole and just that small moment of truth mm-hmm. in her experiences with Dave because people will still save themselves from a truth that they know actually happened and will not even attempt to spare another friend who is going to potentially feel everything that you felt and probably even worse because of the inexperience to betrayal that is happening right before your eyes. Some people would not even pull you to the side on a one-on-one and say, hey, girl, Dave did this shit a while ago. It's not that big of a deal. They're not even going to do the one-on-one because they're trying to still protect themselves. And their image. And their image from that shame of Mm -hmm. betrayal. So to see Nicole say, hey, look, you could be potentially making a big mistake, even as a person formally betrayed. Mm-hmm. Who is that friend in your circle? <laughs> okay, like, who is that friend you in your to, circle? And you have and, to assign that friend. And and she might be in your circle. You just she. This hasn't happened for her to expose herself. You understand? For yeah, you, you right. Her. You right. So right. she might be. She very well may be there. And so I mean, hey, we just never know. But I think I think that is awesome to bring out in the book because she basically changed the trajectory of this relationship. Mm-hmm. 
Um, are we ready to move on to the next chapter? Yeah. So we okay. can go into, is it worth trying to mend this relationship? Okay. And so I sent you some, some side pointers. And I think this is where how to evaluate whether the relationship is worth investing in. And let me explain that to you. Because you know how we, I watch these shows on HGTV about these fixer upper homes, right? Mm-hmm. And so these homes are sometimes abandoned. Um, they have great damage and the person has to like figure out initially without a lot, without a, a lot of interior work and figuring out all of what's wrong. They have to decide whether or not they want to invest in this home regarding the location maybe they have to move it just a whole lot of things that have to take they have to take in consideration and you have to determine is it worth from this side of it from outside looking in is it worth investing in and sometimes when you have experienced betrayal in your relationship and while every part of you is telling you to run the other way this is a red flag of all red flags you have to determine is it worth the work is it worth the investment knowing the potential risks is it worth the work and um Mm -hmm. i think that's important to decide you might not you might not be in a place to make a good decision but i think it's always important to not focus on just the bad doings and to try to see the good in the person try to see the good in the person before you know Mm -hmm. deciding to just run away with your feelings so they can't be hurt anymore and i can't wait until we get into that portion of it but we'll just sit here is it worth trying to mend this relationship what do you have when we deal with uh the two people the betrayed and the betrayer there is that one question And it's answered in two totally different concepts because for the person who's been hurt, a lot of times, like you said, in and living in a home with very little equity or impossible need of not necessarily being repaired, but updated. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of variables Mm -hmm. to this situation um, as a person being betrayed that you don't see potentially being worse if you were to separate from the person that actually betrayed you. Because then you have to ask the question of the new person who has to answer that very same question. And it applies the same way to you being hurt because now somebody has to date a fragile you, Mm. which may be too expensive. Mm to invest in or to update may not be no equity in you Mm. at this point. So you have to understand that sometimes is it worth mending the relationship? Hell yeah, it is because only it's only based on what you feel like you and this person is actually worth. And sometimes like they say, it's a lot cheaper to keep what you already have. And you could take that however you want, because a lot of us who hear that, they always say, well, hell, I don't like cheap shit. <laughs> but sometimes the cheap stuff is what lasts. Let's just be honest. The more expensive it is, the more expectations you ultimately have of it. 
And it's an even bigger letdown when it doesn't survive for the time you felt like was guaranteed to you. Right. That's good. So, yeah. So in this viewpoint, I felt like I really didn't gain anything from this chapter. (laughs) Right. Because I'm looking at this from a completely different lens. We go through the first two chapters and we realize that a lot of our language is a little bit ignorant. We'll just say ignorant. We start these processes off with very, very demanding requests. We say intentional dating. We say all of these different things that will imply that you have to stick with me. We say exclusivity, the only one. We say all of these things in the very beginning before we actually know what is the the value of and what is it that is going to require of me to make this thing one work and two last. Mm-hmm. And then you find yourself not knowing the value of either. And now you have to figure out how do I move forward with what either I have or what it is I'm going to be looking for in somebody else. And this is what makes mending a lot more difficult. So one of the reasons that we suffer in love is due to the fact that we expect things from love we didn't earn. It's hard to say this as the person being betrayed. You didn't necessarily earn what you feel like you are expecting of a person because you're not accepting the truth of the person You're looking to earn that or get that thing from. You have to know who this person is. And we always said when we try to measure up the importance of relationships that one of the deal breakers is the concept of an open relationship. And when I read this chapter, it made sense to why a lot of people tend to opt for the open relationship because it is accepting the whole truth of a person as they come to the table and finding a way to not necessarily accept everything that they are, but also trying to find your strength and endurance for the thresholds you have to set. For not only love and trust, but pain as well. And we don't consider that in relationships when we come to the table with a lot of what we expect from people. Because a lot of people's truth is going to hurt us no matter what it is Mm -hmm. that they're doing. Because it is a part of us that we have never experienced. We've never felt what. It feels like to be this human being and you didn't give us you didn't give yourself enough time to fully get to know the darkest side of this person you love or the complicated side of the person you love. You just went extremely hard for the expectations of a person that you don't all the way know completely. And it's going to ultimately make it difficult to decide on should you mend this relationship with the person you still don't know completely. Yes. So it took me into a different space as I began to read um, the third chapter, because love and trust is the very reason why this question was even a question. 
So this is where it, I guess it gets kind of hard. I feel like, um, chapter one and chapter two stood out, um, you know, on its own. But like, as I get into three, four and five, like, I don't, I think I'm just listening so hard to where I'm not differentiating what points were made in what chapters, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. where it got fuzzy because you just, you're just in the book at this point. And so in chapter right. three, when they're asking, you know, um, is it worth investing? Is it worth trying to mend this relationship? And when they bring out the point about the open relationships, I, I immediately, you know how I do, you know how I switch things up. So, okay, when I hear open relationships on a basic general level, I hear people who are not committing to each other. They're just dealing with each other. And, mm-hmm. and the reason feelings don't get hurt is because they understand that this is not a guarantee. Right. Right. And, um, I wanted open relationships to be a relationship where we can be open with each other, not necessarily open to do what we want to do, but comfortable with being open with each other about our feelings. Right. I feel like that concept itself is so foreign to committed relationships. It's a shame, like because of this expectation that we don't do anything to upset the other i feel like that handcuffs us from being open and honest about like simple things like it's okay mm-hmm. to say you think this woman is attractive does that mean you're gonna go out there and boner i don't think so but i mean why can't you say you're attracted to this woman or why can't you just speak to like simple things like you have an attractive woman you work with that doesn't mean you are you know sexually attracted to or you just think she's pretty like i feel like there's a lot of things that we try to sweep under the rug to make things that we don't say because of jealousy or insecurities or things like that well i feel like that breeds this environment where people end up doing things that they wouldn't have done if they could have just said something and you could say okay um do you talk to her like is the exchange cool? Like just, just talking about light stuff and keeping it light and not getting too heavy to where this type of thing is comfortable to bring forward. I feel like that would change a lot of stuff, right? If somebody, I've said it before, but I understand it's realistic for, unrealistic for a lot of people. But if a man could tell you, could tell this woman, Hey, I am getting some real, uh, vibes from so and so. I don't welcome him welcome them but i feel like she'd be coming on hot and heavy if you could tell your wife that <laughs> without her like going off what you mean like how, how she doing this like wanting to go fight her or confront her or confronting you like what you're possibly doing to make her feel like she can you know like if you could just say that without it being a thing like imagine all the conversations that could be had without and vice versa if a woman could just be like um I don't want you to go fight him, but so-and-so be saying like slick things to me that I don't think are appropriate. You know, like, I feel like it's stuff like that, that if we could just say it without feeling like this person is going to go do something ridiculous or just create some insecurity within them, I feel like we would cultivate an environment where we can say anything, whether it be our concerns or our fears our our desires without feeling like we're going to get in trouble or be judged or this is going to cause issues but i don't think that's really possible that's not the way it's been set up right you can work towards that to normalize it but i i think going in that's not what people 
expect from relationships. Right? Now I have I have a a pretty analytical approach to um mending a relationship that I think people are not ready for because we are always taught to be so territorial in relationships. But um, that goes to my initial point of having more trust for self than you do another person. Mm -hmm. Now, I remember early in the stages of me and my lady dating, she was still very much present and around a couple of her ex-boyfriends. Now, there was a space where even one of the ex-boyfriends was her family would go walk and whatnot. They would go to a place in Detroit called Dequender Cut. It's like a um, it's like a path that they've kind of turned into like a track where it's like a three mile walk up and down in this nice little community that they've built in the heart of downtown Detroit. And I remember as just being a friend to my lady at this time before we decided to cross that threshold. One of the ex-boyfriends was coming to the the Dequinder cut prior to me coming into the picture. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing him in the picture, of course, you know, being around the family. So all of this was happening within like literally months of her and I becoming friends. So I remember we got to a point where a lot of the things that I was saying to her were becoming triggering and she began to develop feelings for me and that boyfriend was still around Mm. right so she came to me and her idea she was just kind of like sharing with me because we were very open I had already told her all of the disgusting things I've been through because initially she started as a friend so it Mm -hmm. wasn't so much like revealing or even revelation left to be had because she pretty much knew the worst of everything. And so she was already comfortable to communicate. The ex-boyfriend is still trying to like put his beard in. And so she made mention of him inviting her out for coffee. And my response was, so are you going like, you know, y'all might have a conversation that needs to be resolved for closure purposes. Now, you hear that today and it's like, hell no, you ain't going to get no coffee with him to most people. But again, trusting yourself, my trust is not that she could potentially get back into this web of deceit or desire on, you know, the, the I guess the part of the old boyfriend. And that's going to change the idea of who she knows me to be. I'm not thinking in that sense. I'm trusting myself. Enough to know that she'll be a fool if she go back there and indulge and engage in that way. So find out for yourself if this is something that you truly want on both ends, whether that is with me or with him. Giving yourself the space to protect yourself from the idea that I'm it because she can show you otherwise. In that interaction with that old boyfriend and that puts you back into the position of that betrayed person from all of those other previous relationships. You have to allow people to grow. And we have this concept of 
other people being involved in our romantic or relationship spaces being a threat to our connections to people. Sometimes that closure can actually happen while we're involved with each other. Give the person the opportunity to find out if they're if they've truly grown or even healed from a lot of the hurt and betrayal that they've experienced. Because the truth of the matter is, if they just so happen to pick their ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, they saving you a whole lot of a hell of a trouble. Yes. Very so, important to understand and, and accept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that. And it was just like this book was like really telling me, okay, this is the this is that healing confirmation that you have been asking for that just so happened to not come in that sitting of asking, am I truly healed? You had mm-hmm. to like it had to be revealed to you mm-hmm. that you've really, truly grown from a lot of those portrayals that. I'm going to eventually speak on in a lot of these conversations, but it's also important for us to know that we are naturally drawn to other people in many ways. And the concept behind relationships should be how do we fight to stay drawn to one another Mm -hmm. exclusively because you can never control your partner tagging in another person in your relationship. That's going to be their foolish choice. Right. Absolutely. That. That shouldn't be how you focus your That's, attention yeah, and your absolutely. emotions. You shouldn't you shouldn't even worry about that. Like what you should do actually is prepare for it. And knowing where you stand despite if it happens or not. And this is why the idea of trusting yourself primarily in in terms of priority is the most important thing because it helps you to easily trust people for who they truly are. So the book, the book was something else. It was something else for me. It wasn't like relationship education. It was more so self-awareness for me. Yeah, I think I think self-awareness is a large part of relationship education, believe it or not, Um, because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people. They don't accept that a lot of things that they go through in their relationships comes from things that they are still going through internally that play themselves out in their relationships, right? If you're insecure as a person, you're going to experience insecurity in your relationship. If you are suspicious Mm -hmm. as a person, because people can be suspicious people. They're just naturally suspicious. There's no fix. She talks about this in his book. And you're going to have to figure out how to control the way your suspiciousness displays itself in your relationship um you know whatever your background issues are whatever plays a large part in you being who you are are going to be in your relationships however they don't have to be an issue between you and your partner Mm -hmm. so i think that's important so again like i was saying for three four and five really i do not know exactly how they are separate, but I do remember a few pointers that I want to speak on um, that I feel like she might have covered in three because, uh, you know, it's, is it worth men trying to mend the relationship? I feel like her answer to that question was questions that individuals had to ask themselves. So she specifically yeah, yeah. said in order to determine whether it was worth trying to mend the relationship, you needed to know 
how you felt about your relationship before the betrayal, right? So if you can say that your relationship was in good shape prior to the betrayal, you should probably stay in the relationship. But if you can say you were looking for an out because your relationship was in, you know, dire straits, then you should not mend the relationship because you weren't happy with the relationship before the betrayal. Like, why would you fight for something you weren't happy with in the first place? Right. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's important. And I think on a lot of accounts, a lot of people assume the person betrays them because they're unhappy with the relationship, right? And that's not always mm-hmm. the case. It's there, there is something going on in the relationship, but that doesn't mean they want to end the relationship. This is a poor display of trying to fix things. Absolutely. But betrayals are not always cheating. And this, whatever you feel betrayed about, Whatever the case may be, it doesn't define a person and you need to determine how you felt before this thing happened to determine if you should stay. So I'm going to go ahead because I don't know um, where four and five begin or end. I just want to list those titles so we can just continue to talk about this. And okay, they're kind of covered. So four is yes, you can trust again. And there's success stories, and you're going to touch on that. And then five, the secret to restoring trust. Okay, go ahead. Right. Um, I think it's actually great to kind of like combine those three, mm-hmm. those three chapters, because I think for me, in going through three, four, and five, the answers to four came to me in chapter five. Mm-hmm. And then the answers in three is when I went to proceed into chapter four. Mm. So it was kind of like I was actually getting the answers to a lot of the bullet points I was writing down Mm -hmm. as I continued reading. And one of the things that I want to make personal for the listeners so that you can understand just how difficult it is to come to these ideals that we're sharing in this conversation is because the example crystal just gave of knowing the position that you were in before having to decide on continuing the mending process of the relationship do you realize how different the communication and language of our social spaces would be if you had to live with the truth in your relationship you wouldn't hear so many people outwardly expressing what's going on in their relationships because you actually had to respect your privacy mm. because that's what it would take to mend that relationship. You would have to still respect that person that wronged you in order for the potential of that relationship to you know show. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't hear as many people being so outward and so enraged in their displays of their feelings. So that's one thing. And then two, think about a lot of the things that you attempt to live vicariously through when you approach relationships based on trust, love, and betrayal. One of the biggest examples of that is finding out the truth about somebody you love that is total opposite of your admiration. That could be an elder that passes away. That could be your your father, for that matter. You know, finding out what he actually done to your mom 
after the fact that he's gone because now she's comfortable explaining the truth. And then you have to not only live with your impression, but also the truth. It makes you a little bit more strategic in how you look at portrayals because for mo- for most of us, we look at everything as a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. But if we were really able to, or even willing to see what we saw and value it, like, would you look at love the same or would mm-hmm. you look at trust the same? If you had to like really sit with who you admired and list those things up against the things that you're now hearing to be true. And then also think about the person that had to live with that truth. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, just maybe they thought about what the relationship was worth to them before the offense and decided for themselves. Hey, I can live with daddy or big daddy doing whatever he did. I can live with mama or big mama doing what he did. And you're seeing the examples of people assessing their relationships and continuing from where they felt like they were headed. So it's not for us to live vicariously through the examples that we see every day because some we don't know the entire truth. We don't know the entire truth. And it talks about salvaging the good that is possible in those relationships, because one of the things, uh, a huge example that um, Mira wrote in the book was the difference between the burning house versus the broken arm. Mm. Right. And um, that stuck out to me. Because when we look at relationships and betrayals, we look at it as the burning house where it's burnt completely down to the ground. And you're possibly going to have to destroy what's left in order to rebuild again and restructure and set that new foundation. Whereas it may just be a broken arm where it's going to heal itself over time, but you're not going to see the resemblance of the brokenness. You're not going to see the fragments of the brokenness. It's just an internal thing where it just has to heal and repair itself over time. So three, four, and five were powerful together. Mm -hmm. That was like the Trinity. That was the Trinity of the earlier parts in the book. So um, they kind of had each of their answers in the other chapters. So that's like, that's my biggest takeaway from three, four, and five. But then even as we go from five, which was the secret of restoring trust, the part two of the book, which was chapters six through 12. No, it was like six through 11 Mm -hmm. is where restoring trust after a major betrayal kind of like took things to a completely different level. Because I think the part one of the book, which was one through five, kind of dealt with just the the simplistic or the smaller um, portion of the things that we deal with. But then mm-hmm. it also amplifies itself in part two of the book where we talk about the major things that take place. So right. it's a lot. No, it absolutely is a lot. And I just I, I have to tell people this might be one of those reads where you read it twice, like initially just to hear what she's saying. And then two to come back a second time to come back a little bit acquainted with the ideas already. So you're not like going off in your imagination like what? How? Huh? You know, 
you kind of already acquainted with what she's saying. And so you can listen deeper on the second round because I definitely got a deeper understanding when I was recapping and reviewing, um, you know, to prepare for this conversation. So, I mean, again, like this is a good read. This is like a guide, honestly, to restoring trust because we understand. And I learned so much about what trust really is in a relationship, but I think that's covered in part two. So I won't go into that right now. I just want us to know, uh, want everybody to know who's listening that, you know, we've covered like the first five chapters just about of the book. We're not going to go into detail on every single thing because we want you to go pick this book up and um, mm-hmm. just listen. And, you know, well, we listen to it via Audible. Shout out to Audible. We might need to set something up because this is a whole book. <laughs> you know, like this is an ad for them to listen or read a book. So come on now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but here it is. But it's it's. It's been so helpful in the first five chapters of the book. Part one has really, I feel like, set the tone of helping you disrupt the negative process of being betrayed. You understand? Because a lot of times Mm -hmm. we know, even in the moment of finding out that somebody has wronged us, we know that we still love them and we want to salvage some portion of this relationship we know that instantly and that's why often i believe it hurts so bad because you loved what you knew to be true and this interrupts that you understand mm. yeah so yeah i, I think this is kind of helping the person not like throw the baby out with the bath water if you will you know Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like yeah, you heard. Yeah, it's messed up. Ooh, they wrong. Ooh, they ain't have to do it like that. But it's okay. There is life after this, and this relationship can still prosper beyond this issue. So, are you ready to get into part two? Part two. Tune in next time on Who Gets Low.